turn in your copy of the scriptures to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, we'll look at verses 4 through 9 tonight. I don't know about you guys, but um, this series has been good for my heart, good for my perspective, uh, causing me to lift my gaze up more to the Lord and, and giving thanks for Him. Um, and it's, you know, I want to say to you guys, happy early Thanksgiving to you. Um, it's good to have a time of the year where you are, are prompted by the culture uh, to lift your gaze up. It's good to have a time at Christmas where we remember that Jesus came, that we should be in wonder over that all the time, right? It's good to have a time at Easter or Resurrection Day where we remember that Jesus died for our sins and, and rose again. But the cross should be at the forefront of our mind all the time. But, um, but, it's, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, for seasons that prompt us to intentionally look up, to intentionally to remember, to intentionally have perspective. Let me ask you guys... Um, any of you ever, um, on Thanksgiving, just looked forward to gathering around a meal with your family, just, just going to be this time of harmony and peace, and we're going to give thanks together, only to go and you just listen to your family members complain the whole time? Yeah. Any of you guys ever listened to your family members complain the whole time, and you yourself started grumbling about your family members complaining? Yeah. Okay. Is it a sin to complain? Well, you know, Philippians 2.14 made things pretty plain for us last week. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And I remember the first time that I uh, came to understand God's attitude towards, towards grumbling, towards that kind of complaining. And I was working at the State Employees Credit Union uh, still, but I was at their call center at the time. And just surrounded by a bunch of uh, 20-somethings like myself at the time. And uh, it was just a, there's a lot of complaining around there. It's complaining about the members that we serve, complaining about our bosses and how they weren't doing things right or so dumb, you know. And we were complaining about, um, you know, different departments. The call center always complains about the branches, and the branches complain about the call center. And, um, and, but I remember just reading an article on one of these episodes of the Israelites complaining in Numbers. And seeing how God brought judgment on them for complaining. And, and it just hit me. I was, I was floored just sitting there, literally listening to complaining all around me. And understanding God's heart and God's attitude towards it. And it um, was one of those like, you know, just stop me in my tracks sort of moments. And, um, and, I, and I really come to see the logic of, of Brett's passage last week in, in, in verse 15. That when we are a people of thankfulness, when we're a people who or not grumblers, then we shine like children without blemish, uh, as lights within a dark world. And, and so that's our aim in this series, is to, to help to cultivate that, this um, the spirit of gratitude, because God has been good to us. Amen? Um, so let's read to, uh, tonight um, from Numbers chapter 21. We'll begin at verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, 
so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you as your kids, um, just asking um, at your table that you would feed us, that you would set Jesus before us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So what, the first thing I want you to notice from this passage is, is verse 4. It says that as they had been wandering around in the desert, that the people became impatient on the way. They became impatient on the way. And you could also translate that word as they were grieved, they were, uh, they were vexed, they were hard-pressed. And that's understandable, right? They were, they'd been walking in the desert. It was hard. Let me ask you, is it wrong to feel like life is hard? Is it wrong to feel like life is hard? No, it's not. Um, as uh, Gracie has this, this book by Dolly Parton that says, it's, it's not, um, not always up to you the way that you feel, but how you respond is a different deal. I'm like, Go ahead, Dolly, you got it. Um, and, and she's spot on. It's, it's, it's not wrong to feel that way. We can't control the emotions that come upon us, uh, fear or anger or things that come upon us. But um, there is a righteous way to respond, and there's an unrighteous way to respond. And even there's a righteous and an unrighteous way to complain. Um, I want to give you a, good, a quick summary of this. Um, a righteous, righteous complaining is a groaning to God. Righteous complaining is a groaning to God about hardship. If you are familiar with the Psalms, you know that a third of them are Psalms of lament, or at least have some elements of lament in them, of complaint, of crying out to the Lord, just like we read in Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. And so what, what makes that kind of complaining righteous? Because this kind of complaining is complaining with hope in God. It is, it is coming to God in response to the hardship, because of the hardship, crying out to God for help, looking to Him uh, for help to resolve it, calling Him good, clinging to the fact that He is good, and looking to Him for help and for salvation. But unrighteous complaining, by contrast, is a grumbling about God, also because of hardship. Unrighteous complaining is a grumbling about God. It blames God for the situation. It, it has no hope in God, but it puts hope in self. It's as if to say, if I was in charge, things would be so much better. And we see here in this passage that it, that it bucks authority, that it despises authority. They grumbled against God and Moses. And it really has no real hope. You know, we complain when we feel like we can't do anything good to change our situation. We don't, and all we can do is complain, and we, we grumble when we don't have hope. 
What we see here also is that grumbling is the fruit of unbelief. Grumbling is the fruit of unbelief. Unbelief about who God is and his purposes for us. Look at these uh, false charges that that the Israelites levy against God in verse 5. They speak against God and against Moses and say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, is that why God had miraculously brought all these ten plagues of judgment on the, on the Egyptians? Is that why God had parted the Red Sea? It's just to bring them out there and to bring them to a miserable death in the desert. Was that his purpose? No, it was not. Why, did, why, did, why then did God bring them out of Egypt? Well, he says uh, he was going to deliver them so that they, would, um, they could assemble and worship him. But he also brings them out by, because of his mercy and because of his grace. Uh, look at um, Exodus chapter 3, the reasons why God said he was going to deliver them. This is, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. He says, uh, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which, which, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God delivered them because of his mercy. He had seen their affliction. He had heard their cry. He says, I know your sufferings. He heard their cry because of their cruel taskmasters and their oppression. And God mercifully answers their prayers. He mercifully answers their prayers. And now they're calling God evil for answering their prayers. He delivers them because of his mercy, and he also delivers them because of his grace. Notice verse 8. It wasn't just to deliver them out of a bad situation, out of cruel Egypt, but you see there in the green, it was also to uh, deliver them to a good and broad land, flowing with milk and honey, a land of prosperity, a land, the promised land, where his glory would dwell with them in their midst in the temple. God delivered them for good, not for evil, not to kill them, not to let them die in the wilderness. And he is, the, the, these people are a forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. He has been sustaining them miraculously with manna, with water from the rock, with quail coming in in the middle of the desert. And he is going to sustain them miraculously. And yet they say that they are going to die because they have no food no water, and they loathe this worthless manna. And that word worthless means basically they hate it. It's despised manna. It's contemptible manna. We hate this food that you've miraculously given to us out of nowhere. It's not true, right, that they don't have food or water. It's not true that God isn't providing for them. It is true that they hate what God has provided for them feel like they deserve better. And what's more, it's not even like these were some, some 
bland bran flakes or something like this. These were honey wafers. It says it says scripture says that they tasted good. The manna tasted good, and it had a variety of ways to prepare it. it um, you could boil it, mash it, stick it in a stew. That's for Steve. I know you're watching. Lord of the Rings reference there. You know, you could fry it up. You could bake it. You could. It says you could make cake from it. I mean, who doesn't love cake, right? All right, so they had a variety of preparation. It tasted good. And they're in the desert of all places. And yet God is uh, miraculously providing for them. They complain as you read... Um, from Exodus to, to Numbers, you see they complain time and time again. They complain when they don't have food. They complain when they do have food. Uh, they complain they don't like the food. They just complain regardless of the circumstances. They are consistent, yes. <laughs> they uh, consistently blame shift everything they don't like onto God, insisting that they deserve better, that they would be better suited in charge. How does God take to this? How does God respond? He sends his judgment. He sends wrath. He sends fiery serpents as judgment. This is how God feels about complaining. I was um, preaching at Clement Baptist Church, my home church, this morning, and, and as I was, uh, as one of the ladies was leaving, she said, you know, we just, we don't think about grumbling as being that bad because we, we do it all the time. <laughs> it's just normal to us. But that doesn't, uh, it may be normal to us, but it's not normal to God. But notice what, what happens. The purpose of his judgment. Verse 7 is the right response. It says, the people come to Moses and they say, we have sinned. They confess their sin. And guys, this is God's purpose for us as it seems God is judging our nation this year. This is, this is the right response to judgment, is to come to the Lord, to turn to the Lord, and to confess your sin, and with hope in the Lord, um, ask Him for salvation, ask Him for mercy. They say, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prays for the people, and Moses here is a picture of Jesus. They needed someone who was not guilty pray for them. They needed someone who did not deserve the judgment to intercede for them. And Jesus is likewise interceding for us now. They respond with confession and, and hope in God for salvation. And God brings salvation. Verse 8 it says, uh, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. What was the, what was the purpose of this? Well, let me ask you this. Why, why were they bitten? Why were they bitten by the snakes? Because they had sinned, because they were guilty. And so um, God is saying here is that if you will only look up and acknowledge that which you deserve, then I would heal you. This, this pole, this snake on a pole, was a symbol of the curse that they deserved. They were to look up and to acknowledge that these snakes are what I deserve. And that was an act of faith. And then they would be healed. But surely there were some who refused 
to acknowledge their guilt, who would not look to God's means of healing. And that was an act of unbelief, and, and they died in judgment. Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that this is a picture of himself. Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Why would Jesus say that he is the snake? I mean, the snake looks, is, is a symbol of evil, right? Because Jesus became for you your curse. He became for us sin. Scripture says that in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became our curse. And God would have us to look up and to see this is what your sin deserves. You may not feel like it's a big deal, but this is how I feel about sin. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We had to be saved by God coming down from heaven and Jesus being humiliated on the cross. And there on the cross, we see the judgment that we deserve, but we also see the judgment that He took in our place. Look up. Look up at Christ and live. Look up at Christ. Acknowledge your guilt. Acknowledge what you deserve and see what God has given you instead. God, God has given you His Son. He has given you His very best. He has given you Himself. He has given you a relationship with Him. He has given you eternal life. Look up at Christ and live. Let me ask you some questions. Just examine your own heart. Let the Spirit examine you. Have you grumbled recently about your job? Have you grumbled about those in authority? About your boss or bosses? Have you grumbled about church leaders? I, I hope not, but... You know, Numbers 11 shows us it happens, and, and, and Moses had had so much that he said, God, kill me at once. I can't take these people anymore. Thankful that, that we don't experience a lot of that, that I'm aware of. Um, have you grumbled against government leaders in authority? <laughs> grumbled against our governor, grumbled against other politicians, grumbled against the president, grumbled against the president-elect. You know, there may be time that, that comes where we need to know how to oppose a tyrant, okay? It's something we should study up on. There's lots of godly ways and, and godly reasons to oppose a tyrant who's abusing power and harming our neighbor. We should do that for the, for the sake of our neighbor, and we should be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake, and as Scripture commands, we should pray for our leaders. There's lots of godly responses to tyranny, but grumbling is not one of them. Have you grumbled about the weather? Have you grumbled about the weather the last couple of days? You, man, I don't know what your standards are, but, but yeah, it's way too hot. Um, did you say too hot? Oh, man, this is perfect. 
But, but have you ever noticed how people complain about the weather and never just thought, like, who are you complaining against? Do you, really, do you think the weatherman just said, well, you guys are going to have a bad week this week. Hurricane coming in. Now, who are you really complaining against? Have you complained about the food set before you? That which God has provided. Let me ask you this. Have you complained about something or someone that God gave you in answer to prayer? Do not raise your hands as I ask this question, but ha- how many of you have prayed for a spouse and God gave you a spouse and he answered your prayers and then you grumble about that person? I'm glad you can laugh about it. <laughs> how many of you have looked to the Lord many long years for children and then grumbled about your children? Grumbled about those gifts. How many of you have looked to God to provide you a job and then grumbled about the job he's provided? I'll raise my hand for that one at least. Um, But if you would look up, if you would look up and acknowledge what you deserve, God would extend healing and mercy and grace. And we need to continue to look up. Let me give you some additional wisdom for guarding against grumbling. First first bit of wisdom here is beware the worldly influences of the mixed multitude. As you see, uh, Shane, if you give us Numbers chapter 11, the Israelites had had complained quite a few times. They had just complained in the the first three verses of Numbers chapter 11, um, and God had sent fire... (laughs) in judgment uh, then, which, which so much so they had named the place Tabira, which means fire came here. But then right here in verse 4, it says, they, they start complaining again, and, and look what leads them astray. It says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. They had a strong craving for meat. And even though God had provided meat for them before, um, and surely they could have come to the Lord, you know, Longing, asking for meat, just as any child can go up to a father and ask for, um, for meat or for cake. And, um, oh, that we had meat to eat, they said. But it was the, the rabble that led them astray. And some of your translations may say the foreign rabble or the foreign riffraff. The King James says it's a mixed multitude. These were those who um, were unsure of their lineage. They, they may have been part Egyptian, part Israelite. They just weren't really sure if they could trace their lineage back to the people of Israel or not. But they were along for the show. And they, um, they, they, the point being is that they had divided loyalties. They wanted to enjoy the blessings of the people of God, but they also were still in love with the world and were clinging to its benefits And that, that may be you here tonight. But notice where these worldly influences where gets um, the people of God. It says in verse 31 that a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea. There was so much quail, it was a day's worth here and a day's worth there. And there, the quail were about this high off the ground. And uh, God said, you're going to have so much meat, so much quail, that it's going to be coming out your nostrils. And this was actually an answer to their complaint that was a judgment because it says, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck them down with a very great plague. 
Beware of the worldly influences of the mixed multitude. Second point of wisdom, remember why you're here. Remember why you're here on this earth. You know, the second time that, um, that I went to India, I, was, I had resolved to pack less. I'd like to think it was a little less, but um, uh, as Andrew can testify, I'm a man of accoutrements, and, and I like my comforts. And, um, so, uh, but as we, were, as we were on the plane, you know, I wore my glasses. If, if, you know, if you wear contacts, you know, you're riding on a plane, and, and um, it just dries you out, right? And so I didn't wear my contacts the whole way there. Thought I'd packed them, but then as we start to get settled in, I go to put them in, and it's like, oh, no, I don't have my contacts. Life's not normal, you know. Um, and just, just like in a moment of despair, I didn't let anybody see it, but just this moment of despair that I don't have these creature comforts that I depend on every day. And it just hit me, like, Casey, you are here for 11 days. 11 days. And why are you here? Are you here for your comfort, or are you here to accomplish a mission? And Deuteronomy tells us that this journey for the Israelites, that it, it could have been an 11-day 11, 11 journey. It probably would have at least taken a couple of years based on the timeline of how long they were at Mount Sinai and, and different places. But, um, and I know, but I, I just think this is a good parallel for life. I know life is longer than 11 days. Life is, for us is longer than, than a couple of years. But when you consider that you've been delivered out of eternal judgment and are delivered to eternal life, what is this life but a vapor? Remember why you're here. We're not here for our comfort. We're not here as our eternal home. We're here to accomplish a mission, and then we're going home. Let that shape your perspective. Third point of wisdom, remember to give thanks. Make a habit of it. Remember to give thanks. Remember, as Andrew coached us tonight, remember what God has done in your life. Remember what he's delivered you out of. Remember his promises of what he's going to deliver us to. Remember his provision along the way. Remember the provision of his son, of the Holy Spirit with us, of our church family, provision of all our needs and many delightful provisions along the way. Remember the ways that God has answered prayer and give him thanks for that. And also remember to give him thanks for unanswered prayer. A verse I've been thinking about a lot lately is um, Psalm 84:11 that no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. There are some things that I'm longing for and I've been praying to the Lord for them for many years. But I've just had to come to this place that God, you are my father. Your wisdom is infinite. You are my dad. You know what's best for me. And I, it's not my position to say what's good and what's bad. You are the one who calls this good. And apparently this, this thing right, that I'm praying for right now apparently is not good for me right now. No good thing does he withhold. Give him thanks for withholding that which he knows would lead you astray. And I, and I encourage you, just as, as Tim has um, encouraged us, to make a habit of it. Make a habit of giving thanks. The, the habit of giving thanks is a habit of noticing God's hand on your day. Uh, Christina and I, one thing that, that we used to do before we had Gracie is 
especially on particularly bad days, we'd pl play something called the Grateful Game. And we'd just sit across from each other at the dinner table, and we would just, we'd each have to name five things, five ways that, that God had been good to us that day, just so we could notice his hand in the day. And, that, and it, I would notice how that would change our perspective. Um, now that the dinner table isn't as quiet uh, and calm, uh, we, and because we want to cultivate this in Gracie, um, as, we, as we end each night, as we put her to bed, we each say one thing that we're grateful for uh, from the day. And um, just wanting to inculcate that in her, to cultivate that in her, because I've learned um, you don't really have to teach kids how to whine, right? You don't have to teach people how to complain. That just comes naturally. We need a new birth. We need to learn how to give thanks. And so uh, whatever stage of life you're in, if you're in a quieter stage, you know, I would encourage you begin each day giving God thanks for his hand in the previous day or, um, or end each night in your bed giving thanks. Get creative. Make it a habit. And finally, make a habit of meditating on the cross. As Brett told us last week, when we say meditating, we're talk not talking about the hum and you start levitating off the ground. Keep your feet down, okay? None of that. We're going to have to have some church discipline if you start levitating off the floor. Um, but meditating in, 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 in the Bible is chewing on something, thinking about it, continuing to go there in your mind. And we should make a habit of meditating upon the cross of confessing our sins, of acknowledging that which we deserve, of seeing what our sin cost Jesus, of seeing how God feels about our sin, but also seeing what God has extended to us in mercy. Theologian Carl Henry, who was known for both his brilliance and his humility, a remarkable coupling, he said, how can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross. One of the ways that we meditate upon the cross together is by taking the Lord's Supper as Jesus commanded. And I believe this is one of the chief reasons why he commanded us to do this, is that we would remember. This do in remembrance of me. As we take the bread, we remember what our sin cost Jesus. We remember how God feels about our sin while also remembering that Jesus paid it all. Let me give thanks for the bread. Father, thank you for giving Jesus. God, we come to you confessing that we are guilty, that we are grumblers, that we deserve your judgment. And yet, you have given Jesus to take it in our place. God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In that passage where Jesus says that he was going to be lifted up like the servant, and in John 3, I'm sure many of you, most of you are familiar with John chapter 3. What's it about? It's about 
Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so why would he say that about the serpent in the context of a passage on the new birth? And it's because before God could give us new life, before He could put His Holy Spirit in us, before He could make a new covenant with us and give us eternal life, the old life had to be dealt with. It had to be judged. And Jesus was that judgment in our place. And because Jesus has been judged, God can initiate a new covenant with us and, and He can make our hearts fit to be His dwelling place. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May we not forget his death. May we not stop proclaiming it. And may we look forward to his return. That's where you're going. Let's pray. God, um, you are good. You are good. Amen.